Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. And this is our review of Black Dynamite, starring Michael J. White, Scott Sanders, Byron Menz, and a boatload of other people like John Sally's in here, Michael T. Williamson, lots of folks you know. Directed by Scott Sanders, released in 2009 on a budget of $2.9 million, gross $296,000 at the box office. Not, not exactly a box office uh, smash. Ron, this time for the Black Dynamite, um, but it uh, it also didn't get a wide release, so yeah. it made all its money on home video. Yeah, and and spearheaded the um, the animated show, which has made the money, and that's that's where it's done well, and uh, you know it's it's and it's getting a sequel as we speak. Like 2018, there will be a Black Dynamite too. But uh, you know, we talked about yeah you know, we did two I guess quintessential black exploitation films for the first part of our our month here in February with Shaft and Dolomite and now we do the spoof film which is kind of a spoof of both and also a spoof of like Death Wish movies and other things like this is this is drawing from a lot of places. Well, it's it's drawing from a bunch of different uh, blind exploitation movies. You've got, of course, Shaft, and you've got Dolomite, you've got uh, Superfly, you've got a little bit of uh, the Jim Kelly uh, black martial arts with an afro type of flicks. Yeah, uh, you've got a little uh, Game of Death. Uh, you've got the. It's drawing from a wide variety of seventies movies. Yeah, it's it's almost um, you know I think I joked about in uh, the in the last podcast with Dolomite that Buster Rhymes was watching probably watching Dolomite when they came to get him in Halloween Resurrection, uh, but he may have been watching Black Dynamite or some version of that or that kind of, or the kind of film that Black Dynamite wants to riff on here. And you know I, when I watched this, I wasn't aware of it at all, and, and until you brought it to me, so I was totally new on it here. And one of the things that kept popping up in my head as I was watching it was how much this movie really wanted to be Airplane and Airplane <laughs> 2. You know, those movies were spoofs. They were in the 80s, the early 80s, but they were spoofs of the 70s disaster flick, right? Towering Inferno, um, you know, the airport, uh, death at 77,000 feet or what the hell ever, you know, all that kind of stuff. And a, a real political satire on the early part of the Reagan administration. Like there was a lot of that in there too. And um, I don't know, you know, I, I felt like this movie was kind of trying to do a lot of the same stuff because you know, parody movies are a real, you got to be careful with them because th there's always that, that moment when you realize this has gone on too long and they've kind of run the joke out and now there's nothing left to do. And to me, like the thing that makes the airplane movies work is that they actually are able to maintain a plot in between all the gags that, you follow and, and go along and that's what keeps those alive. But other smooth movies like, you know, scary movie and scary movie five and you know, all those <laughs> others like at some point, like it's just like, well, I've seen Charlie Sheen, you know, screw it alien. I've, I've seen it all now. 
Yeah. Um, one of the it's it's interesting that you bring those up because a lot of the cuts you'll get to stock footage are uh, stock footage taken from those actual taken from things actually made in the seventies. Like uh, you mentioned, uh, Death Wish, but uh, some of the explosions are taken from Missing in Action. Yes, yes. And uh, Charlie's Angels and and those kind of things. They they went out of their way to make it as accurate a 70s movie as possible. Uh, um, uh, right down to uh, the original trailer, which they made to make money for the film, was a bunch of scenes from old black exploitation movies. They shot the trailer on Super 8. They shot the movie on Super 16. Uh, so it would look really high contrast and saturated and have that uh, black exploitation 70s look. Um, it would have the grain to it, in other words, right? Without having to do it as an after effect, which doesn't look exactly right. And and I don't even know you could do it in 2009 or not. But, I mean, let's talk about our creators here, though, because this is Michael J. Watt and Scott Sanders' kind of thing, right? Like, Scott Sanders has made, you know, t- one other film at this point point and he hadn't done anything up until that he had done like a lot of music videos and stuff right and had written stuff yeah and uh the co-writer uh byron Menz has like a an encyclopedic knowledge of black exploitation movies and was one of the big resources for the film and the three of them basically all worked together to not only did they craft a movie they crafted a backstory for the movie <laughs> to help put it into a to to keep themselves and to keep the cast and crew in the mindset of a black exploitation seventy movies, like uh, Michael Jai White isn't Michael Jai White. He is Baltimore Colts running back Ferrante Jones, who <laughs> left the NFL a la Jim Brown to become a movie star. That's that's awesome. <laughs> and Scott Sanders, I believe he wore seventies clothes. Uh, while directing, um, and there's all kinds of uh, authentic '70s era clothing and equipment uh, used, like behind the scenes of the movie, like during the production. Right, like, and he cut his teeth writing on a different world and the Wayans Brothers shows and stuff like that. So he's he's a comedy writer. These are, uh, but Michael J. White is not somebody I associate with comedy because I only know him from spawn and which maybe one day we could get around to and you know he has a small role in the dark knight uh but i don't know him from anything else especially anything like comedic uh the closest might be his uh brief appearance in teenage mutant ninja turtles uh the original one is one of the foot clan thugs Oh, that's awesome. So I didn't realize he was in that. So, okay. Uh, I, I mean, I I think I've seen him in other stuff, you know, and I'd, I'd have to go and look at his filmography and I just, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I don't, I don't know him from, you know, a lot of uh, big time productions. I think he's worked pretty solidly, but uh, he's not somebody, I, again, I associate with comedy, right? Like we talked about, it's just not who he is. No, he he he's not necessarily a comedic actor, um, but yeah, he does. He has worked steadily, and he makes a lot of uh, direct-to-video, uh, straight-to-cable 
action movies, but he has done some like uh, Tyler Perry type melodramas. Like he was on Tyler Perry's For Better or Worse uh, for, for like in the like three Tyler or four Perry's years, thirty something kind of show. Isn't that what that is? I've never watched it. I, I just sort of I think that's I, what that is. So. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he did some shots on House of Pain. Uh, you know, he's done some voice acting work. Uh, well, he's got a great voice. We should say. I mean, he has an incredibly neat voice because he can sound like it's always the same deep, you know, smooth, uh, uh, always super serious kind of voice. You know, like he just does this thing. I think there's like a joke when someone's like, "Aren't you smiling? I am smiling." You know, like he's just always a total <laughs> like badass. I think that's his persona and he plays that pretty well and i think the comedy in him of this comes out of the fact that he plays everything straight while everybody around him is ridiculous yeah well i mean you can't have tommy davidson in a movie and have it not be ridiculous yeah that guy just screams it exactly so um but you know what though i i have a feeling a lot of people may be familiar with the animated stuff that's adult swim more than they are this movie ron and for that i'm I'm gonna ask you give us a good plot summary here on black dynamite oh you bet uh black dynamite is the ultimate street superhero He's a Vietnam veteran, he's a CIA agent, and he's an all-around martial arts master who's a legend among the people. Damn it, he played for the Colts, too? <laughs> Ferrante Jones played for the Colts. Black Dynamite would not sully himself uh, with something other than the pursuit of his kung fu. Gotcha. <laughs> There's a new drug on the street, and it's aimed right at the most vulnerable population, the orphans. Since Black Dynamite was an orphan, and since the man killed his brother Jimmy who's played by a very young Baron Baron Vaughn of Mystery Science Theater 3000 fame, Dynamite is given his license to kill back by his old partner and set loose hunting down the, sa- the shady organization putting drugs on the street. Turns out Jimmy was working for the CIA. He wasn't a two-bit drug dealer after all. Black Dynamite tracks down the thugs who deal the drugs, takes the drug dealers off the streets, puts it into the smack, it gets down with the sexy orphanage mama Gloria. But it's not just street-level thugs Dynamite is after. He's coming after the whole corrupt system. And it goes all the way to the top. Dynamite kills off the mafia, finds corrupt Congressman James's ledgers, and fights his way to the warehouse where the smack is coming from. However, it turns out that the real trouble isn't just smack, but Code Candish. Code Kansas. Uh, a fiendish plot from the government to bring the black man down to size. The source is Dynamite's old nemesis, fiendish Dr. Wu. Dynamite's militant friends are killed during an assault on Kung Fu Island, but Wu's thugs are wiped out. Dynamite chases Code Kansas all the way to the White House. Black Dynamite squares off with none other than America's third most evil president, Richard Nixon. (laughs) A Kung Fu battle ensues, and Tricky Dick learns a lesson after a vicious beating and a very long nunchucks battle. (laughs) And Abraham Lincoln. Don't forget that. And, and, and yeah, Deus Ex Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Dynamite and Gloria pose over the fallen Trisha Nixon, and Dynamite promises to continue his quest for justice as credits roll. That's a pretty good plot summary there, and it goes through a lot of stuff. I mean, we go from getting heroin off the orphanage uh, to beating the hell out of Richard Nixon. I mean, that's a, that's a lot for 84 minutes. Yeah. Yes, this movie does not uh, true to the source material. It does not slow down for things like 
exposition. <laughs> Dare I say it's very American Ninja in that way, like the original, uh, not American Ninja. Uh, it's very the Ninja uh, that, in that way. It's it's very much like that uh, Frank Nero flick where just things just happen random <laughs> you know and we just go with it because that's what we do i want you to hang on to the fact by the way that jimmy works for the cia because we're gonna be talking about that again in the week all right when we get around to some black panther i'm just gonna spoil that for you so just hang on to that thought for a minute ron so but yeah we get into this man and i love I lo- we, we get this opening scene and like this is this is when i realized like oh man yeah this movie is super cheap because it is as if you just pulled up behind like the back lot with no permit and just shot this shit in the street. Well, that's pretty funny because they uh, did shoot it a lot uh, on the streets in uh, Los Angeles, and they shot it in twelve day or in twenty days. Excuse me. Good grief! Yeah, so the production moves as fast as the plot does. Oh yeah. And some of the mistakes that that did make it to the film are intentional, like the uh, floating boom mic from Dolomite. I thought that would so. I I noticed it, yeah. But others were unintentional, like in the – at Roscoe's Chili and Donuts when the mobsters come up and jump out of the car and the car starts rolling away and the guy jumps back in the car. That was unintentional. The guy didn't put the car in park. He jumped out of it, then jumped back in to stop the car. And they liked it so much, they kept the film rolling and they kept that uh, take in. I have, I, I just can't even wrap my brain around that idea. But okay, so that's, that you would even think to do that. But I guess if you're just so in the zone. Uh, but we get his, his brother Jimmy killed by the shady organization here, right? Like it's... Uh, uh, I don't know. There, what? There are three dealers standing there. Like, what are you is doing me wrong? And then there's like a massive amounts of gunfire. Yes, Jimmy gets shot. Uh, I don't know a dozen times at least. Oh, easily. I mean, this was uh, you talk about missing an action. This is missing an action two and uh, you know Death Wish four level shootings. I mean, uh-huh. there, there was lots of squibbing, lots of bullets, lots of practical effects. I mean, again, going cheap. That's what they have to do, but. Um, that was kind of nice to see. I always like it when good practical effects make a an appearance. I even like uh, bad practical effects like these. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of those um, throughout this, but the the shootings looked okay. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it it all for what they were trying to do. I think it worked perfectly. Yeah, and I do think that the the shooting worked uh, really well. Yeah, that, I mean that, and you've got you know the the over exaggerated gun sounds and everything else. I mean it it all sets a scene here that we we understand what kind of world we're playing in. Yeah, and uh, they and uh, one of the the funniest things about that whole opening scene to me is uh, Jimmy's accent. And that is a spoof of one of the movies that was considered for Black Exploitation History Month and that may make an appearance in Halloween. Um, the joke for that was based off of the way that uh, William Marshall talks in Blackula because he was he was a very known he was a very well-known Shakespearean actor. And a lot of these Shakespearean actors go from doing Othello to doing these low budget black exploitation movies and they're trying to shake off the either the affect or their actual <laughs> British accents. Well, you know, that's the thing, and, and people forget this, but like Shakespeare in his day was considered like lowbrow. 
you know, because of all the flowery language and all this kind of stuff. Nowadays, we hold that up as, you know, the pinnacle of acting and all this stuff. But in, in its time, that was considered like what this is today. Like just low rent, low brow humor, which I, I find interestingly ironic uh, <laughs> that we come around to, to something like that. But I think Michael J. Watts doing some of that too. Like he's got, he's trying to play it off as if he's this serious actor taking on this, you know, ridiculous role that he's just playing it for as ridiculous as he can, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, right down to, you can see his, any emoting or any facial expression that he's doing uh, when his dialogue is over, you can see him drop his facial expression where the camera lingers just a beat too long on that shot. Oh yeah. Yeah, completely. And he's like, did I get it? Okay, good. And it's, yeah, it's, I can only imagine the outtakes of this cause I didn't see those. I just saw a straight digital version. So I, I don't know what they would be. I can imagine there's hours of them uh, at this point. So, uh, but I mean, we get everything here though, man. I mean, we get the, the, uh, evil gangsters. We get, uh, heroin filling up black orphanages, which I'm like, man, that is some messed up shit <laughs> you know that the orphanages are are infected with heroin it's like weed gets in maybe but heroin that's dark yeah it's definitely uh dark but it 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 harkens back of course to dolomite where there's also a subplot about drugs in the community right because there actually were drugs in the community though they were using them as they shot dolomite that, that's <laughs> the that's the other part of that i mean uh, but uh, this, this is the end. You know, he declares war on the drug dealers. Going to clean up the streets. And I, I, man, I got to tell you, one of my favorite characters in this though is Sally Richardson's Gloria, uh, the Black Panther style ad uh, activist. And I don't mean the Marvel kind. I mean the <laughs> historical kind, right? Like that's what she's supposed to be. Yeah, she's uh, she's great. Um, she's really funny. Uh, I think she's one of the funnier characters in the movie. And true to form, she has is given basically nothing to do other than no. to be sassy towards Black Dynamite and eventually fall in love with him. Right, because that's what that's what happened though in black exploitation films, right? Like you think you think about the all the things that were exploitative about those films and the the women in them like until uh, until Pam Greer came around, that's all these the, the women were allowed to do, right? Was just be sassy. You would get the occasional uh Kung Fu bitches, uh, and you get you get those in this as well, yeah. which is is hilarious. Yeah, there's plenty of those in in this, right? So, uh, but uh, you know, we didn't even talk about what the actual opening is, though. It is a spoof commercial, right, for Anaconda Malt Liquor, um, which. If any of you want to get a good laugh, go to YouTube and just look up Billy D. Williams Colt Forty Five. And then yeah, look up like a, the, look up the SNL version of that too, because <laughs> it's just as bad. But it's yeah, the same a, idea. Was, it's dead on. It, it's it's dead on that Billy D. Williams commercial, and it's great. I mean, completely right. So, but I I mean, I already know. I'm like, this is not just here for no reason though, because this movie's 84 minutes long. So there's nothing in it that's wasted, you know. So I I knew that going in because I knew how short it was. And when I saw this, I was like, this is going to play part of the plot. I had no idea. <laughs> what it was going to be. So we go from heroin being like the thing to it. And this is like a conspiracy theory that's been around for years that the CIA 
infiltrated the um, particularly L.A., uh, you know, and Compton and places like that with drugs to try to keep the the black man down. Right. And this this is all around that there's some drug that the government the government manufactures malt liquor. There's that. And then that they put some drug in it that basically shrinks the manhood down of of the men who drink it. Yes, and that actually was inspired by a real-life urban legend that uh, Church's Chicken was putting poison in their food to try to kill black people. Wow, I have never heard that one. That's new. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to tip the guys off at Generation Y about that and see if they can get on that one, because uh, that's a new one, man. <laughs> I have not heard that. Uh, but yeah, but you know what? That That's what I, I look at this and I'm like, huh, again, this is why I keep saying this movie wants to be airplane because that's what airplane would do is they would take something like, you know, people that would, would sneak a bomb onto an airplane and then they would make Sonny Bono do that because he has a hard time getting it up, you know, and then they, that's what they, they build the whole tension of that. You know, one of those movies around is that, and I, I don't know. I, I watched it when I first saw it, I thought, they're really going to go there. And then when they go as far as they go with it in this to where we actually, to you know, we borrow a line from another podcast, we see the button on a fur coat and the damage it does. And we have to kill the person <laughs> because of it. I mean, that that's, you know, taking the joke as far as it'll go. Yeah. They, uh, and that, uh, that prosthetic is a pacifier. Is that what I'm, I'm sad that you know that. So. Oh, it's on the IMDb page. <laughs> okay, well, at least they said it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, you know, like, there have been a lot of prosthetic dicks in movies, okay? Let's just say it, all <laughs> right? Um, if you've seen Boogie Nights, that's not Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> okay? He Sorry. wishes. Sorry, people, yeah. yeah hey, bro. So, but, I mean, yeah, that's that's not him. Uh, that is uh, Jason Siegel in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, uh, much to Kristen Bell's dismay, as she will tell you. She spent three <laughs> days with that hanging in her face. So I'm um, having to act with it. Um, so, but so you know, there, there's been... But, you know, male nudity in a movie is not... That's something that's still taboo now in 2018. So, but you know what? We we didn't talk about it last time. There was male nudity in Dolomite. There was some in Shaft. Yeah. Uh, it's all part of the, I think, general urge to push boundaries or be different that you get in a lot of these movies, uh, that you get in a lot of movies from the 70s in general. But uh, the low-budget, exploitation type movies uh, specifically – uh, there's a very famous scene in um, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song uh, where you see a very young uh, Mario Van Peebles uh, in a way that you don't want to see yeah, that's one of those, someone that young. That's one of those that's rumored that it's not like faked. It's unsimulated, if you believe that kind of thing. So anyway, not, not to go too far down that road. we got to talk about Black Dynamite's crew, though. Uh, for a minute, because I, I need to. Um, <laughs> we, we have Bullhorn, Cream Corn, Saeed. Um, uh, we, we have Chicago Wind. Jack. Say what? Chicago Wind. Backhand yeah. Jack. Yeah. Chicago Wind, Sweet Meat, Gunsmoke, who is the pacifier wearer uh, that we mentioned earlier. Um, <laughs> you know, Tasty Freeze is Arsenio Hall. Uh, uh, John Sally of uh, NBA fame is Kotex. I mean, yeah, we got a lot of really cool. I mean, uh, you've uh, got the uh, Mo Bitches, you've got uh, Chocolate Giddy Up, 
Mm-hmm. You've got. Uh, I mean, I'm yeah, watching. All kinds of guys. I, I'm thinking of another spoof movie by the same the airplane guys. Top Secret. Have you ever seen this Val Kilmer joint? Oh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Oh goodness, I love. Well, you know, my one of my favorite scenes is this here is Francois Souffle and Chocolat Mousse. You know, and I just wanted one of these guys to be named Chocolate Moose. <laughs> just to, I uh, mean, is 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 having Captain Kangaroo Pimp not enough for you, Jay? I you no, I want I wanted my Chocolate Moose. Damn it! It's funny because uh, <laughs> that's exactly how they got Arsenio Hall on board. Really? To be Tasty Freeze? Yeah, he read the script. Uh, <laughs> he read the script, and when he got to the part where uh, that uh, when he got to the part where um, Captain Kangaroo Pimp was, he was like, "All right, I'm on board with this movie. Let's do this." <laughs> That was all it took (laughs) was that. But the best scene of all these people is when they're hanging out in the diner and they decipher that the slogan of uh, Anaconda, it leads them to understanding what the the plan actually is. Do you follow all of that, by the way? Because it's a crash course in Roman and Greek mythology and astrology and all kinds of other stuff. Zodiological astrology was invented by the ancient Greeks. <laughs> Who <laughs> my, knew? <laughs> my favorite part in that whole scene, and that's a great scene because the it, it mirrors the leaps of logic that you get in these kind of movies perfectly. Uh, is the random old lady who keeps throwing in answers, who is not in with the group, but is merely answering their trivia questions as Black Dynamite asks them. Oh yeah, he's just like, yeah, thanks, lady. You know, like, and he kind of looks at her like, who the hell are you? So, but. It's done in such a way that it feels like, at least to me, that uh, I know that in in reality she was meant to say this, but like, it, it, my thought is that in the filming of this movie in the seventies, this was just an extra who kept yelling out answers. Oh, look, yeah, look, I, I have a feeling that, like, this this whole scene, I'd love to see the cuts from it again, because it just goes on and on and on. But it it is that leaps of logic. Like you say, it's like, no, nah, now who was the – and, like, this, the answers they're giving, though, are, like, it's not what you would expect from this group of people. And as we all know, this was all in 785 B.C. And I'm like, I didn't know. Who knows that, you know? So that's – yeah, that's yeah, – that, as staff and <laughs> – Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're going down roads that I have long <laughs> forgotten. Um, the area code for Topeka, Kansas. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that either, by the way. Uh, but uh, we come up with Code Kansas, and that it's it's all about giving you the little Richard, or it's going to make your dick small, which is what they know. And that's when they they all realize, no, our friend Gunsmoke is already like. Uh, under its effect, and they go in and they find his pacifier hanging out, as you say, and uh, then we have to kill him, you know, because it's just a mercy kill at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and uh, I, I greatly enjoy Bullhorn throughout this entire movie speaking in Dolomite rhyming couplets. Yes! Oh, I'm glad you called that out, too, because I said, this is, uh, Byron Mims obviously is a huge Dolomite fan. Because he just keeps wanting to do dolomite things. Well, he does do dolomite things, right down to the uh, uh, the sloppy kung fu in the very beginning in the fight with uh, Chicago Wind's people. Oh yes, uh, yes. When uh, when Chicago Wind uh, runs away and Dynamite chases him, and that leaves Bullhorn back to fight with the goon, and where he accidentally slaps the guy in real life. 
And then they, there's a hard cut, and then he's the guy that gets slapped is replaced immediately with the new actor. <laughs> Didn't catch that. <laughs> this is this is one of those movies that will reward uh, multiple watches because you catch things like this again, like, yeah, kind of like Airplane or Top Secret. Like you you miss half of it the first time you watch it. So the question is, though, is the central three line plot enough to make you want to go back and relive the gags? Because that's the thing about comedy movies, man, is like especially gag movies. Like once the joke's done, it's kind of done. Like I watched over the over the holidays, I watched one of those. Um, I don't remember what it was like. Who's your daddy or what? You know, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg or the, the dad, the stepdad, and the dad of these kids and who's cooler or whatever kind of movies it was on. And I mean, it was completely stupid and I laughed and had fun with it, but I would never go back and watch it again because now that it's all out of the bag, it's like, there's nothing to go like relive again. And that's the question about this movie is, is it worth it to go back and relive those laughs to follow this straight line to the white house? I mean, I, I definitely have an answer to that, but, uh, well, yeah, that's I'm why also we're the, reviewing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the one who said we need to watch this movie. I'm the one who owns this movie on, uh, DVD. I'm the one who first saw this movie in 2009 on like premium cable. Yeah. How, uh, how did you come across this one? Cause again, it didn't get a huge release and you know, I, I don't follow these kind of films necessarily, but I tend to know what's up and what's out. And I don't remember this at all. So how did you find this thing? Uh, I think it was on Showtime. I want to say it was Showtime. Um, and I just randomly stumbled across it in the part where, uh, I think the part that I first came off uh, or came across was when black dynamite and company were headed to Kung Fu Island. Okay. Which and, is near the end. We should say. So. Yeah. Which is the middle to the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> actually, no, I, I take that back. I think the first part of it I saw was the militants. Uh, in the very beginning, in the, earlier in the movie, where the militants turn startled, sarcastically, I'm in charge. Uh, where, where that guy's mouthing <laughs> off the black dynamite and reading the and reading yeah. the stage directions as part of his lines. <laughs> yeah, he's just reading it. Uh, that's part of it. Kung Fu Island is funny because it is the uh, you know, game of death, enter the dragon, uh, part of you know, the octagon part of this movie that this movie wants to be. Right, like it, it keeps playing with all of those tropes. I mean, we have uh, Doctor Wu, you know, which is yeah. fiendish Doctor Wu, fiendish Doctor. I forgot. I mean, yes, the, uh, the the adverb is part of the name. So, uh, but uh, yeah, fiendish Doctor Wu, and you have uh, the the whole bit that it, the, it, like a good Bond villain, he you know tells. Uh, his nemesis everything he wants to know instead of just killing him because that's what you should do. But anyway, as Scott evil was right. Just shoot him. We'll get a gun together and we'll shoot him. But you know, um, but the, uh, but my favorite part is that the whole motivation, uh, the whole motivation for Dr. Wu to do this plot was so he wouldn't get fired from his job. Yeah, no, that's the weird thing. It's like, there's no like world domination or whatever. It's like, no, I still want to get fired. Uh, but that's because he's working for all the way up the ladder, the White House, right? Of course, because that has to be the the evil. You called him the third most evil president in our history. I'd love to know who you think the other two are. Uh, Richard Nixon. <laughs> 
Yes, and I think you mean the honky house because it's not the White House. <laughs> that is right. It is the honky house. Yes, well, it's it, all it's, part... oh, no, wait, not in 2009 it wasn't, but okay. So. <laughs> well, no, no, but it, it, it is now. <laughs> and it definitely was during uh, Richard Nixon's reign of uh, paranoia. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, you can't call that a reign of terror. It definitely was a uh, reign of paranoia. So... <laughs> um. And that's the uh, that's one of the funniest. That's that's another thing that I find absolutely hilarious is that entire nunchucks fight between uh, Black Dynamite and Richard Nixon. Yes, that Richard Nixon, who not exactly the most graceful man in under any circumstances, uh, phonetically nor uh, mobility wise, the fact that he could go in a nunchucks fight, a la Chuck Norris style, with. Black Dynamite here, who I understand Michael Jai White is actually like a like well-trained martial artist and is, you know, just a fantastic with all this stuff. I, I cannot imagine the hilarious laughter that had to be breaking out as they shot this insanely long nunchucks fight. And uh, speaking of things I don't know if you noticed or not, but the uh, person, the stuntman for Richard Nixon who does most of the uh, action scenes is uh, Roger Yuan, who played uh, Fiendish Dr. Wu. Now, I did notice that, yes. And that's what I was going to ask you. I was like, are we to believe that Dr. Wu is actually Richard Nixon and he's just switching identities back and forth? Because I kind of took it as you could read it that way. No, that's not that's not it entirely. <laughs> what it is is they got a guy who couldn't fight to play Richard Nixon and they had the stunt <laughs> coordinator... <laughs> take so do just, the heavy lifting so it's just the bad 70s like we're not even gonna hide it anymore so kind of uh yes right down to uh having an asian <laughs> play a white guy with a glue on wig well, where the asian hey, guy is bald i mean hey john wayne played an asian guy once so <laughs> it's only fair ron it's, it's a good point i mean that um, they, we we earned that one so i mean that that's okay uh then but I, I do think that's part of the fun is that Richard Nixon not only is great at nunchucks, but according to this, is also into bondage and cross dressing. Which, like J. Edgar Hoover, I buy that, but Nixon, I don't know. He seems that seems kind of against his Quaker upbringing. Yeah, I don't know if his uh, phlebitis would oblige him being <laughs> yeah bound up with a whip by a, what may or may not have been a prostitute. I don't know. All I can think of is Anthony Hopkins as in Nixon going, Patty, get me my dress, you know, as, as he often <laughs> liked to do. And if you've ever seen that, um, very, very boring Oliver Stone version of Richard Nixon, um, which is something to say too, right? That Oliver Stone does boring things, but, uh, he does. And so, um, and, and he has many times. Uh, but yeah, that, that, they give all this, but I love how, you know, it's all built down where Nixon eventually just begs for his life right you just just kill me because I don't, I don't want people to know right and uh black dynamite uh decides no i'm gonna i'm gonna uh blackmail you so that make sure you take care of my people yeah and didn't nixon have a lot to do with um i can't remember if he did or not uh, like civil rights he activism was quite, like, he was, was quite involved in that yeah <laughs> so that's one of the I don't know, kind of uh, odd things about him. It's also one of the prickly things about him. Is, uh, among all of his paranoia, he actually did some good things, um, so, which people just well, don't want no. to remember, but it is true. Well, 
And now we know why. <laughs> well, I mean, blackmailed. I mean, look, you have to you have to do what you got to do, you know. But uh, yeah, um, no, I mean, look, uh, he. <laughs> It's uh, Nixon against a prickly one, right? Like, I mean, it's it's funny, but he's the one that was really a big part of integration in the South and schools and all that. I mean, that was something he really pushed um, because, among other things, I mean, Nixon was not as staunch as a lot of people like to remember him. Uh, he was fairly progressive for his time. Um, yeah, he, he also was... liked to you know know what everybody was saying about him at all times, which is why he wasn't president for his full term. Oh, yeah. And he one of the things he did was he actually uh, put a lot of money into research and treatment for sickle cell disease. See, which is something that affects the African-American community. So, yeah. And uh, he did some stuff with uh, expanding Medicaid for for families with minors. You know what would have been fun is if they had like rolled like, you know, they do like the fake news headline things. Like, again, I go back to airplane style. They're like after the confrontation in the White House that we see all of like the good Nixon policies happen afterward because it would have it would have played into the blackmail better instead of just ending on, you know, Gloria and Pat Nixon watching on. Yeah, like if they'd rolled up the uh, Equal Rights Amendment support or uh the desegregation, the Philadelphia plan. Right. Any, any of this stuff, right? Like that would have, that would have played a little bit, but at least it would have been more fun. That's the thing about this movie is I felt like it was in such a dang hurry to do all of this stuff that it didn't really take time to like breathe on any of its comedy. It just sort of blows by you. And then we go into the next thing and then we blow by you again and we're on to the next thing Uh, punctuated by these ridiculously long scenes of, exposition in a diner where we go through Greek mythology and zodiological categories and, and nunchuck fights in the white house uh, where the ghost of Abraham Lincoln knocks the gun out of Richard Nixon's hand. Is that what happens? Cause Nixon pulls the gun trying to be shady and Lincoln's like, no, no, no fair fight. No, it's yeah. Well, yes, it is the ghost of Abraham Lincoln, but the gun that Richard Nixon pulls is the Derringer John Wilkes Booth used to shoot Lincoln. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, there's a little plaque on it, and and Jay, I really recommend you go back and watch this movie like three more times. Cause see, I see, missed that. I, and I you'll start that. catching this stuff because I didn't see yeah. that the first three times I saw it. All I saw was Ghost Abraham Lincoln coming out of his chair to kung fu slap the gun out of Nixon's hand. That's another thing. It's like when you become a vampire in Buffy, you know kung fu. When you become president, do you know kung fu too? Is that just automatic? Does that happen? And now just think about Trump doing kung fu. And, and let that reside in your head for a minute. So, uh, oh, I'd rather not. <laughs> I don't. I, I have a hard enough time seeing people repost that picture of him playing golf with his his <laughs> butt hanging out in khakis. I'd, I'd rather not think about him like doing kung in, fu. A, in a gi. <laughs> I could, you know, who I could see doing some kung fu, but like George George W. would. He's small and slight. Like I could see him getting down with the foo, you know. I think he would be good with the throwing stars. I, be, I bet he could really put one right between your eyes like Shokasugi or something. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just think he, he did a lot of coke and watched a lot of kung fu movies in the 70s. That is probably also true. So, um, but At least uh, one of those things is true. <laughs> some, some of that along the way. Well, it's like this movie. Some of it probably happened. So, and then a lot of it is no, but we're just going to mix it all together. Uh, but I think you're right, too, because I, I mean, I totally missed that that was the booth danger. But here's the thing. 
Lincoln never regained consciousness after he got shot. So how does he know that? I'm, I'm thinking way too hard about this. I, uh, yeah, that's all that is. Well, I mean, how does he come back as a ghost? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, accept, I'm accepting certain things. Just not everything. That's that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm sure the White House ghosts know everything that goes on in the White House. Can you imagine? Oh, but you know what? Blumhouse needs to get on some of that. That would be good. Like, they need to do some comedy. That would be a great do. And they need to get Tyler Perry to be a part of it. That would be awesome. So That movie would make $90 million tomorrow. So, oh, yeah. Medea at the White House. Between <laughs> Blumhouse and... I'm really surprised Blumhouse isn't involved in the Boo Medea's Halloween franchise. How do we know they're not? I mean, really, at this point, they they own everything. They now have their hands on my favorite horror franchise of all time, Halloween. So I have to trust these people, all right? Because they can't do any weirder than what Rob Zombie did. So. Or any dumber than some of the things Dimension did. But but here's the thing, though. Like, watching this, this is what I came out of this realizing. Like, okay, this movie didn't make any money, you know, whatever. But I can see how it spawned something. And so I went and hunted down, like, animated episodes and watched a couple of them. And I totally get it. You know, I'm like, this, this thing seems to be, and I would say, might even work better in the 30-minute, like, short format. Maybe not animated, maybe live action. But, like, I could see this being a show more than a movie. It's very much like, um, like we talked about with Dolomite. It's very it, it's very much a movie that is great to chop up in scenes and segments and, and like, watch on YouTube. Like, I've watched the, the Fiendish Dr. Wu uh, boomerang thing a million times on YouTube. Uh <laughs> and I've watched the uh, the monologue where Black Dynamite talks about the the little Chinese boy, uh, uh, also a hundred times on YouTube. Like I will just pull this up at work or like stuck in traffic or something and amuse myself with it. Which is funny because the uh, Black Dynamite says that that scene he doesn't know Chinese, and later on he talks to Phoenix Doctor Wu in Chinese. <laughs> Of course. So, but the little boy is actually speaking Vietnamese, and he says in Vietnamese, "You're full of shit, Black Dynamite." <laughs> that, another thing I'd missed the first time around. I just remember the exchange and thinking, "Well, that's oh, the no, ironic, that's, the ironic funny of it, though." Is oh, that's uh, that's uh, an inside joke uh, from the movie. From oh. the movie, it's it's like in uh, all those movies where they just tell people to uh, you know speak. Asian, uh, speak whatever Asian language they're speaking, and then they just dub it with whatever, subtitle it with whatever. They're, I forget the movie. Some movie we reviewed, they did that. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not surprised by that. And I've, I've heard that trope before. I just, I just, and a lot the of the, of a lot of the Chinese is just them saying obscenities in Chinese. <laughs> because as well. who's, who's so, going to know? So, I mean, this isn't getting international distribution. And if it does, they're not going to care. <laughs> if it does, it's even funnier. I know. Like they will, they'll think it's funnier, right? So yeah, that's, that's the funny part of it. But you know, I, like I said, I can see how this thing spawned a TV show and it's, it's like shorts, but it's coming out with another movie now. And I can only think that's because this animated thing has been huge and this has become a, a cult hit. Well, the, the animated thing came about because this movie has become a cult hit. And uh, if you go back to 2010, there's a, a couple of really good podcasts uh, like Chris Hardwick, uh, Nerdist, 
has a really good one with Michael Jai White where they talk about this movie extensively um, during the initial rollout of the the flick. Um, and yeah, it's it, it was one of those things that was a really slow build, but it gained steam to the point where Adult Swim was like, yeah, we can give you a couple million dollars to do a cartoon. And then the cartoon did well enough to get two seasons and that helped them get the funding to make the next movie, which is not going to be a direct sequel to Black Dynamite, but it's going to be a Western. Oh, now see, that sounds funny because didn't Melvin Van Peebles, Mario's dad, like do Westerns and stuff too? Yes. See, that? yeah, now that totally makes sense then. And so, there yeah. is a, a famous uh, Fred Williamson black exploitation Western the title of which uh, I'm not going to say, uh, but the first word is boss, and the second word is something white people can't say. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, I, I think I know what you're talking about there, and we're going to leave it at that, but I follow what you mean. So, uh, we know I can see how this eventually gets itself back in theaters. I'll be curious to see how it works, because here's the thing we haven't talked about, is a lot of the humor in this is based on things you can't say. Particularly, you can't say anymore. And you couldn't in 2009 any more than you can now. And I think that has ruined parody films in a lot of ways. Like, it's hard to do some of the edgier stuff without wondering, are we going to step over that PC line? And I wanted to ask you, how does, how do you balance that and still make a, you know, a fun experience for everybody? Or do you just say hell with it and, and step on everybody's toes? Uh, I think, to me, if you just say hell with it and start stepping on toes, I think it works out better. Uh, but in this case, they have a very specific thing that they're doing, a very specific genre that they're poking fun at that I think lets them get away with more. Uh, because, you know, they're not just directly parry, parroting like Dolomite or Shaft or, um, uh, you know, those kind of flicks. Um Slaughter, that's the Jim Brown one that's actually pretty good, too. They're pointing out the ridiculousness of some of these politically incorrect things while still getting the laughs that come with saying these politically correct things. I mean, there's a whole council of pimps that meet for a good 10 minutes in this movie. Again, saying uh, something that, some was, of the, that was done in, in South Park, in, uh, which that episode is called Butter's Bottom Bitch. Uh, for those looking for it, by the way. And it's it's the same thing. I tend to kind of think along the lines of those guys is that either everything's okay or nothing's okay. And and their attitude is everything's okay to make fun of. And I kind of feel like, you know, comedy writers nowadays and the people that made this in particular felt the same way. Yeah, you could definitely get a sense of that. Um, kind of, this is what we're looking to spoof. This is the kind of movie we're going to make this and we're going to make it warts and all. It's going to be as ridiculous and over the top as we can do it, but it's going to be grounded to the actual genre that we're, you know, making fun of that you get with airplane that you get with top secret. And I, I mean, black dynamite is introduced with a three plus woman sex scene. Yep. That is shot in an exact mirror of the horrible, <laughs> horrible sex scenes in Dolomite. 
Yes, it, it, it like is. Same angles, mm-hmm. same cuts, everything. Except, Except you, there's you just three women. You don't actually. See, there's like five. You don't see Michael Jai White's butt though. That's that's okay. So they, they're they, saving it for the they're saving it for the sequel. Is that what it is? Well, I don't know. I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts and popcorn ratings. So, what are yours for Black Dynamite? I have been a big booster of this movie since it came out. Uh, I've shown many people this movie, whether they were interested in it or not. Uh, I love, like I've sent to you this week in a text, I send gifts of this movie constantly. Uh, uh, or it might have been last week that I sent you the gifts of it, but I sent you some gifts from this <laughs> yes. movie. Um, I I think it's hilarious. I've watched enough black exploitation movies that I get a lot of the direct references that they're making, but to but to me it works as more than just hey look these are references to things that you like there's some legitimately really funny performances in this i mean just chocolate giddy up alone is one of the funniest things uh, tommy davidson it, it kills every scene that he's in with his ridiculous faces that he makes he was always been a favorite of mine since in living color um and I think Michael Jai White, not only is he a great martial artist and a really good action hero, he is a, an extremely underrated comedian because he deadpans every joke he gets in this movie perfectly. It, it's it, it's the kind of performance to me that deserves to be right up there with Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. So for me, this is an extra large popcorn. It is only 84 minutes, and some of that is the credits, so you are not really – spending a lot of time with it but you can watch it like two or three times and and still pick up on things because there are still things that i'm picking up on as of the last time i watched this so extra large pop i will say that that i agree with that last statement that like this is definitely something that if you're going to be in for it you got to go back for multiple helpings and and I didn't have time to for this because and so I wish I had and I definitely will go back and watch it again. As far as like how how this ranks again, I came in not knowing anything about it and then watching it, I I gave you my judgment of it. I said this movie wants to be like Airplane, you know. And so along those lines, like again, you know, like I said before, the thing about Airplane that works for me is that there's a through line in there that that works amongst all the gags that I can get into. And, you know, Ted trying to get back with Elaine, um, which is, you know, an age old story. So it's, it's funny and it works. And I can go back and watch those movies, even those goofy airplane movies. And I see things in them and get things out of them now that I didn't when I was a lot younger because the humor works on so many different levels. The problem with Black Dynamite is that the humor really only works on one level. You know, teenage and, and a little bit older. And it just sort of lives in that era. So, the jokes, I don't know, play as long, but there's so much hidden coolness and fun in this. And again, watching that animated bit, it made me remember things in the movie I didn't know I was picking up on until we talked about it again tonight. I realized there's a lot of just hidden gems in this. I kind of feel like this is a hidden gem comedy that people may or maybe aren't aware of. And I really hope the next one gets a, gets a good push and gets a chance to, to do something in the box office because I do think it's funny. And I think again, you've got a guy who's not a comedic actor, but he's giving an incredibly comedic performance in Michael Jai White. 
And so for that, I think this is a it's a good solid entry. I don't think it's extra large popcorn, uh, but I do think it's good. So I'm going to give it a large. I think it's it's funny enough and it works well enough. And the ridiculousness of that end fight with the nunchucks and the ghost of Abraham Lincoln is enough to push it over the edge for me. So I'm going to give it a large popcorn and say I'm gl- I'm glad we did it as part of this this retrospective for this very special February of what we're doing. So we it, got- it will it will grow on you. Let me just tell you that. And you will pick up things that you didn't see the first time through. You will notice things uh, the more that you watch it, the more I think you'll get out of it. Because there are so many things that are happening like in the background of scenes or just off camera uh, that it, it – it, to me, it had, this, it had the same kind of track to me that like – uh, the Big Lebowski did. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's okay. And then it, the Big Lebowski grew on me over multiple viewings. And I think uh, Black Dynamite is very much like Airplane, that kind of movie. That even once you know it well, and I do, there are still things that, uh, you know, uh, are lurking in the comedy background, as it were. Confession here, I have never seen The Big Lebowski. I know all the memes from it, but I've never seen it. So, Oh, boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but ask me how many times I've seen Halloween 6, the producer's cut. So... <laughs> <laughs> So we all have our vices. Well, hey, man, we're going to wrap up this very special February with big Marvel movie, Black Panther. Now, it's out now as we're you're recording this and, and talking about Black Dynamite. We're going to kind of let the dust settle for a week on it. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about this one. I got a chance to see it in theaters already. I know you're going to see it um, later this week, and uh, and we'll get a chance to record and talk about it. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful uh, for that one. It, it's a very interesting take on the Marvel superhero first entry movie. Yeah. I've yet to watch it. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, all of the local screenings around me were mostly sold out to actually sold out. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it's I'm hoping huge. that the dust will settle. I yeah. Mean, yeah. The thing 245 million. Was it? Yeah. Over the president's day weekend. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's massive and, and we'll only get bigger as it grows as, as these things do. I mean, these Marvel films have not been flops. I mean, even the supposed not good ones, I've all made unbelievable amounts of money and, and the real good ones, you know, make tons of money. So, uh, I had, you know, I, we'll talk about it next time on the show, but yeah, the, lots, lots to get into with black Panther, uh, before we wrap up February. And then I'm just, just going to tease something for everybody here. Okay. Hang around to the end of the Black Panther show. We get kind of a kind of a big announcement. Something we're going to be unveiling to talk about film strip going forward that I think you're going to dig, and uh, we'll get more into that next time around. But uh, folks, as always, you can find other other episodes on our iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher feed. Just search for Continuous Play Podcast uh, Film Strip, and you'll find all of our stuff. You can also go to our website, continuousplay.com/slash/movies, and all of it's there. You also find links to our other podcast in the Continuous Play universe. So I ask you to check those out. And if you like the show, leave us a review wherever you get the show. It helps other people find it, and we appreciate the support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Stay away from that anaconda, and we'll see you on Film Strip. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.